to your question specifically, the two that are most poignant that jumped out at me is one, not being myself, not living the life that I wanted, but living the life that others wanted. And two, the regret of not doing something. Very few people had regrets of, I did this and, and I regret it. I regret that I did this job. I regret that I married this person. I regret that I, whatever the case may be, that's not what it is. The Yo, this is Christian D. Evans coming at you. I host the Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. First of all, thank you so much for listening to our amazing podcast. If you find this valuable, this episode, please share, like, and send this over to a friend and make sure you leave a comment below that and show our guests some love. Secondly, also, very excited to be releasing, never before released to the open public, our Be Uncommon Mastermind, where I've had the fortunate opportunity to network and connect with our guest, uh, eight and nine figure CEO and founders on our podcast podcast and I'm giving the opportunity for our listeners right now, six and seven figure entrepreneurs that are wanting to level up, they want to scale their business, want to take their life and business to the next level and they know that they need to surround themselves with higher caliber individuals. So I'm giving the opportunity to have access to my network and I'm talking like Pascal Bachman which ran a mid eight figure business, Vinny Fisher which ran four, uh, four time eight figure business owners as well as we've got uh, Nick Cavuto which has incredible network like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins and so forth, uh, JC Granger, David Valentine, Mandy Ellison, so many amazing eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. And so if you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're on a treadmill and you feel like, okay, hey, I need to level up your treadmill. Okay, your business is is not able to scale up, move to the next level. Guess what? Then you need access to my network and some of these amazing eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. So make sure you go to christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. The link is in the description as well. Make sure you click on that. Apply, you're gonna have a conversation with me. You and I are gonna see if you qualify. We're gonna have a cool conversation, dialogue. And then what's gonna happen is if you do qualify, I'll have, uh, I'll have you stuck in amazing six month, incredible intensive mentorship with some of the amazing eight and nine figure. We have one-on-one -on -one mentorship, you're able to have a conversation, you're able to connect, collaborate, have a custom plan on exactly where you're at and what you need to do to level up your game and your business and life. So that is christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now and make sure that link is in the description below. Until next time, remember be uncommon. If you can, enjoy the episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And boy, we have a private uh, board of real estate company owner on here. We have a CEO and a founder, but also a speaker and an author. And we're going to be diving into some really cool stuff. He is an author of this new book, Life is Too Short Guy, Making Every Day the Best Day Ever. And the epiphanies that people have, and the reality is that you don't need an epiphany to all of a sudden change, pivot, and move forward. But he's also the board of a public real estate company, corporate executive, and board member with broad industry interest in growth sectors of the global economy, a team and company builder with a track record of creating and leading the fastest growing public real estate company in the U.S. As almost a, um, a 
about approximate value, asset value, $1.8 billion, and is quadrupled the asset base in three years, took it public, established direction, strategy, and built a high-performance management team and culture. He's also a trained CPA and attorney, but most of our time is going to be focused on the new book, Life is Too Short Guy, Making Every Day the Best Day Ever, and what the heck that means and why that's so important right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott White. How are you doing, my man? I am fantastic. What an intro. Boy, I love the energy. You got me fired up. I'm excited to listen to the podcast now. Well, I'm really excited about jumping in because obviously you have an immense knowledge and an experience in obviously taking a company to private equity to obviously, you know, building a lot of uh, a lot of equity in it, financing, things like that, but also, you know, leveraging that experience to drive this book, right? You didn't get technical with the book. You wanted to drive this specific book. And I, I'm just curious, Scott, like why, what was the motivation behind creating the structure of this book and obviously what the book is meant to be when, when, when sharing it with your audience? Well, the motivation, uh, Christian, is, is I live a happy, wonderful life. I'm grateful for everything I have. As you mentioned, I, I'm chairman and CEO of a public company. I also co-founded and started a student housing development company. Um, I've had great uh, success along my career path. I've had great success with, with my family and my life, and I live every day to the max. And as I've gone through life, especially over the last, I'd say, decade or so, as I meet more people, a lot of people have said to me, Scott, you really should write a book. You should get out and motivate and inspire other people. And I sort of took that as, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one day I, I had my own aha moment, my own epiphany, where I was like, you know what? Why not? Why not? You're living a wonderful life. You're having a great time. You're enjoying every minute. You're super high energy. You're constantly motivating, exciting, and inspiring others. Why don't you sort of formalize it? When I say formalize it, that's actually the last word I should probably use because it's meant to be fairly informal and approachable. So the book, the concept, as you said, life is too short guy, making every day the best day ever, is meant to be a very practical, approachable, non-academic book of what can I do today? So, so you know, I challenge people all the time, Christian, are you doing something you absolutely love today? And, and if not, why not? Are you living in the moment? Are you grateful? Are you happy? Do you, do you understand you only have so many minutes in your life and right now you're choosing to use those minutes with me? Are those minutes well spent? And if not, why not? What about things that, you, that you've thought about doing, risks you've thought about taking, uh, fears that you've had that have put you on the sidelines? Like, why not make that move today? And, and my goal is to inspire others and to make the world happier one smile at a time. And, and that's what's motivating the book. And that's what's motivating uh, my opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Now, have you always been like that? Or was there a pivoting point in your life where like, you know what, life was just down, you were just aggressive, you were just annoyed, and, and you had to make that internal choice? Or were you always like that? Were you just like, you know what, uh, ever since you walked out of the, the, the womb, you're like, you know what, I'm just grateful for what I got. Uh, I'd love to get your response on that. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I've had some self-discovery as I've written the books. I've been working on the book now for about four or five months. And I think there's been self-reflection and thoughts around, well, what were your aha moments? I, I've always been a positive person. But I think I've taken it to an extreme over the last, I don't know, every day I get happier and more grateful and more positive. And I think with age comes some minor level of wisdom and, and reflection. Uh, there's no doubt, I, as I think about, because others have asked me, well, well, you talk in your book a lot about aha moments. And I interview a lot of people about what were those pivot points in your life? And a lot of them were major setbacks, major 
overcoming illness, overcoming uh, death, overcoming, you know, death of a, of a loved one. Uh, so, so people have challenged me as I've thought about the book. To, so what was it? What were your pivot points? And, and I don't think there was one in particular, but there's no doubt your experiences shape your life and shape your life views. And, and I, as I think about my life and my story, I think there were four aha moments. And, and I don't think, actually, I'm certain it wasn't at that moment that I was like, aha, I'm going to be super happy, super grateful, super whatever. I think it, it transpired over sort of four events. The first event was uh, my father, who is, you know, is very close to my father, had a, a heart attack when uh, I was about 10 years old. Um, and, and, you know, he, he survived and that was uh, wonderful. But you want to talk about a wake up call, a kick in the, the proverbial kick in the teeth, the proverbial like, you know what? Life doesn't last forever. When you're about 10 years old, the last thing you're thinking about is, is serious illness of a loved one or losing a loved one. And you know, I went through the, the event of, of my dad going to the hospital, going to the emergency room, being woken up during the night that, that he had a heart attack and then watching him recover. Now, this was uh, you know 1984. So you want to talk about a different time in healthcare and medicine. I'm never going to suggest a heart attack is not a big deal. Um, but I think as, as, as medicine has evolved, it isn't generally as much of an event as in 1984, you have a heart attack and, and, you know, thank God he survived. And then he went on uh, about a month or two later to, to need triple bypass surgery. And, and in 1984, there were very few doctors in the country that did that. So he and my mom actually flew. We lived in New Jersey uh, to Houston, Texas. And he spent about two weeks there with, uh, with one of the, the cutting edge surgeons had the triple bypass surgery. And I, I remember a very prolific poignant that I think was a major aha moment for me. I don't think I fully comprehended all this until I heard his voice on the phone after the surgery. I don't remember again, it was a long time ago, how many days later, but a couple of days later you get that call and, and you hear dad say, sort of say, Hey, how are you? And, and I just remember, completely losing it then breaking down crying just that that was there's no doubt a moment in my life where I was like thank god he's alive and, and you have no idea how long you're all going to live um and then I think the the second major aha moment for me as it was for many people was 9-11 so on uh, on 9-11 I was in Manhattan I was about eight blocks north of the uh the World Trade Center I, I arrived, uh, I, I came in on the ferry from New Jersey and walked by the World Trade Center probably 45 minutes to an hour before uh, the first plane hit. I, I walked to my building against, call it eight blocks north, go up in the elevator, I sit down, I have a conference call. I remember it was uh, a, an early morning conference call with some potential clients in Japan. We're on the phone facing the, the west side and here sort of behind me, a, a bang. And it wasn't, it wasn't sort of a rock the building bang, but it was a more than somebody dropped a book bang. But it didn't really, it wasn't to the level of we should go look. Again, facing the West Side Highway on this call. And all of a sudden, you start to see a few minutes later, emergency vehicles coming down the West Side Highway. And, and you know, first it's a police car, and there's another police car, and then a fire truck. And next thing you know, within a few minutes, there's, there's a whole line of emergency vehicles. So Myself and a couple other people on the phone were like, you know what, we're, we're going to put this on hold and just see what's going on. And, and we walked to the south side of the building and stood there and, and saw the, the hole and the smoke sort of coming out of the building. And everyone's checking their radio to figure out what's going on. And the preliminary reports on, I think it was Bloomberg or 1010 was a plane to crash into the building. And 
speculation was that it was a, a small private plane and, you know, maybe somebody kind of made a mistake or an accident. We went back to the, the call and suggested that we reschedule the call. So we, we hung up the call, walked back to the south side of the building and standing there, I watched that second plane come down the Hudson River, make a turn, pivot on a side and crash straight into the side of that building and watch the explosion, which, you know, to, to this day, I, I realized I walked by that building an hour before I was eight blocks north of that building. And then I, I spent the rest of the day getting out of the city, getting across the river, trying to track down my wife who was working in Midtown and the, the phones weren't really working well that day, trying to account for people. I lived in Hoboken, which was right across from, from the downtown World Trade Center. And you're watching people come back that day. Thank God they came back covered in soot. You smelled the putrid burning, which went on for weeks. Um, it, was, it was a day where when I went in that morning, I was a junior investment banker. I was, you know, a year out of school. I was rah-rah, the typical investment banker. I could work a hundred hours a, a, a week and, and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and I'm going to rule the world. And, you know, there, there was a certain ego and bravitas associated with being an investment banker that uh, for me, it was, it was career, 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 career. And Fortunately, I, I was married to my high school sweetheart. I still am to this day. And she knew me for a long time. She knew what I was about and was totally bought in. I will tell you that uh, a week later, my wife and I got on a plane, which is hard to believe, but fearfully got on a plane, flew to Chicago for a friend's wedding. And that day we decided that it was time to start a family. Had you asked me a week before, I was like, eh, family in five years at, at best, because you know, for me at the time, life was too short and I was going to work and become, you know, a Wall Street king, so to speak. A week later, we decided that we we're going to have a baby and about 11, eh, about a year later, we had uh, my daughter. So so that was a second aha moment in my life. Um, third aha moment in my life was was I did end up losing my dad at a fairly young age. He died at 65, which uh, was about, I guess, 15, uh, 14 years ago now, plus or minus. And you know, it was scary, certainly when he had a heart attack, but when you actually lose a, uh, a, a, a parent, that's a big growing up day for you. There's no doubt about it. And, and uh, that was really a pivotal moment for me to, uh, as I progressed through the first aha moment of life is too short, the second aha moment of get your priorities straight, that it's time to start a family. This third aha moment of you really need to figure out where you're spending your time. Are you enjoying life? My dad was 65. Uh, you know, when you count sort of the minutes between where you are and where 65 is, there aren't that many, how are you going to use them? Um, and then, you know, my, my mom died about a decade later and she was fairly young as well. And the combination or culmination of those four aha moments, I think have really led to this sort of philosophy of life is too short, make today the best day ever, like literally today, not the, the proverbial, oh, today's going to be a great day. No, I'm going to make sure that the time I'm spending with you, Christian, and everything else I do today is making sure I'm living my best day ever. Well, and I appreciate you sharing those stories and being authentic because that, that is just huge pivotal points. And what I always find so interesting, Scott, is when you have a pivotal point in your life, you know, it's like, okay, we understand that there has to be chaos. And throughout that chaos, then there becomes solutions, right? We identify it. Uh, but I, I would love to really kind of you know, talk a little bit about like, obviously during those points, what were the proper questions and the self analyzing process that you, you went through to be able to look at that event 
and and how that event you know make the make the choice that you made right and reprioritize right because i always find it interesting because it's like there are certain events that could happen to the same person or like two different people but each person interprets it totally different and so i was just curious with with your situation what was that process look like that allowed you to process and say you know what I'm going to reprioritize. I'm going to spend my time with the people that I love. Like the, all of a sudden it was like certain things and certain choices happens. I'd love to, for you to walk me through that. Yeah. So I think for me, it was the lens through which I viewed the world that changed. We all have a lens and we all view, we all view, I think you really said it well in terms of we all sort of look at events, we look at facts and come away with different conclusions. I took a lens and, and, Again, I, I think I said this before. I don't think these specific moments, like the next day I changed, I think they're evolutionary in terms of, all right, let's think about the lens through which you view the world. Uh, you know, one of the key lenses for me is the power of positivity. I could find happiness anywhere. I mean, literally anywhere. You could give me the worst possible fact pattern, and I will tell you why I'm grateful for that as opposed to something else. And, and I think that's sort of a key driver for me. I even remember talking at my dad's funeral, you know, part of the eulogy was I, I was so thankful, and I use those words in the opening paragraphs, thankful that everyone was here to spend time with me. I was grateful that dad had a heart attack at 42 and lived to 65. Wow, was I lucky. I got 23 bonus years with him. So I didn't show up with the lens of why me? Life sucks. I can't control the outcome. I can't believe I lost my father. Sure, those thoughts went through my head, but the powerful lens, the, the motivator for me was I got 23 extra years since his heart attack. He got to see me grow up, graduate high school, graduate college, get married, have children. Oh my God, I am so lucky. And that was sort of the lens that I learned, I think, through each of these events. And it's one of the key drivers of my philosophy is, as I think about the book and Life is Too Short Guy, the philosophy I actually have abbreviated with the, the, um, uh, the acronym LITZIG, life is too short guy, LITZIG. And one of the key drivers of it is the power of positivity. You have the ability, again, no matter what the lens is. You know, uh, I'll give you another example. I, um, uh, through my, my interviews for the book, I, I interviewed a, a gentleman who had gone through you know, major setbacks in his life. And, and I remember him saying to me at the, at the end, this was, was somebody that had been paralyzed, completely paralyzed from the neck down and, and his stories in the book. And one of the things he said to me at the end is, you know what, Scott, no matter what, it could be worse. If somebody told you you have a month to live, well, thank God, because that's more than a minute to live. And that sort of stuck with me of no matter what the fact pattern is, this is a gentleman who was completely paralyzed, football player who played college football. Um, his name is Eric Legrand, by the way, for those that, that may know his story. And if not, it's, it's just an amazing story. He's an amazing human being. And I interviewed him for the book about how he, as a college student, was, was playing in a football game. I was actually at the game. He was paralyzed from the neck down. And, and since then, he's become a, an ESPN broadcaster. He started a, a, a business where he does motivational speaking. Just last week, he opened a coffee house. He's done so many things. And his parting words to me was, no matter what, it could be worse. I love that. I love that perspective because, you know, definitely, and, and you were mentioning this a little bit as well, uh, you know, in your bio, it's like you have divorce rate just increased. Stress rate is just remarkable. Suicide, right? Just everything you can see. There's just so many devastating situations. And, you know, my question to you, Scott, definitely when you're seeing all this, like Russia is, is going into Ukraine and, you know, China and all this stuff, right? And there's just so much negativity. Scott, how do you 
help yourself to make the choice, the intentional decision, say, you know what, I am going to choose to be positive and look positively and be thankful for what I do have. Um, definitely with, with culture and life and politics, I mean, it's, it's heavy. Uh, and I'd love for you to kind of look, get how you're able to walk through that. I think, Christian, that's the quintessential point of the book. And I, I think that is the question you just asked is the most prolific one in terms of, you know, the, the tension in the book and the tension in the story I'm trying to tell is there's negativity everywhere. I mean, you can, I can rattle off stats to just sort of blow your mind. And my research shows that 80% of all thoughts are negative. 90% of all media coverage is negative during 2020. And now bear in mind, this was COVID, but during 2020, Americans were more unhappy than they've been in nearly 50 years. You talk about COVID, you talk about the war, you talk, hey, look, I, I don't want to dwell on that because it's a waste of time. Again, it's about perspective and thinking about, okay, but, okay, but I'm alive. I'm awake. I have food on my table. Okay, but maybe I don't have food, right? There are people that, you know, so one of the things people say to me is, well, well Scott, you do live sort of a life that, that is wonderful. You do have a, a roof over your head. You have a loving family. You're married to your high school sweetheart. You have two happy and healthy teenage daughters. Like you got nothing to complain about. You know what? This same fact pattern, there's plenty to complain about. There's always an opportunity to find a complaint. I could take it down one level and find that person that doesn't have a roof over their head. They're homeless, right? So how do you how do you tell that person, life is too short, live in the moment, be positive. I tell that person, well, maybe tonight you'll find a place to, to sleep. I tell that person, have you eaten today? I tell that person, you have clothing on your back. I tell that person, is there anything you could find positive? The sun is shining today. I tell that person, you have shoes today. Now, look, some people may not have shoes. They're walking around barefoot. But if they do have shoes, be grateful for that. Regardless of the fact pattern, it is my fundamental core strong belief that you could find happiness and gratefulness. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a, okay, so here I am and I'm down and out and I'm homeless, but I have shoes. I'm down and out. I'm homeless, but I ate a meal today. I'm down and out. I'm homeless, but I found the shelter for tonight. I'm down and out, but I'm homeless. But there's a a, um, a philanthropic organization that has provided me with 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 something. I, I don't know what that is. A a, a work opportunity. Uh, uh, a warm coat. Whatever it is. And each day, if you could find that positive and allow it to become self fulfilling and allow it to to be the foundation. Look, there are going to be setbacks because then all of a sudden on day six you didn't find food, or on day six you know, take it to a different level, you were diagnosed with cancer or on day 12 of this happiness, whatever, you lost your job. It's the ability to come back to immediately find that lens and say, okay, I've been diagnosed with cancer, but this isn't the worst form of cancer. I've lost my job, but it's going to push me to do something new, creative. It's going to make me get outside my comfort zone. Uh, I lost someone I love, but I'm grateful I had that person in my life for so long. And this now opens the next chapter of my life. I could choose to live in the past, live in the negative, live in the why me, the world is out to get me negativity or find that positivity. Look, it's not always easy. I'm not going to pretend that that if, if you've had a major life setback, that the next day you wake up smiling and all is great. You know, it's, it's hard to make every day the very best day. But I think we each have the power and the ability to control our, our views, our perspective, and our behaviors. What are we going to do with this? Okay, it's a setback. How do I figure out how to overcome it and live the best day I can possibly live today? So let me ask you this, because you, you've interviewed a lot of individuals for this book and gathered a lot of data. So when you were talking to these individuals, um, 
because coming back to obviously some people can have the same experience, but their interpretation is totally different. So I love to kind of talk about from interviewing these individuals, they've all had certain epiphanies or pivot points in their life that helped them scale to the next part of life. What were some characteristics did they have like holistically that you discovered by interviewing them and said, okay, hey, these are the characteristics you must possess to have that right perspective. I, I know mindset is one of them, of course, having the right mindset, but what are the characteristics have you discovered that that help facilitate that right, right uh, perception? So there are actually 10 attributes I talk in the book that are part of the Litzig philosophy. And then I use a lot of the stories to, to illustrate that philosophy. So the first one, there's no doubt, is the power of positivity. And we've already, I think, beaten that one a little bit to death, although I, I could talk about it 23 hours a day. I probably need to sleep a little bit. But uh, the power of positivity, I think, is the foundation. I think we each have that ability. Again, there, there, there will be setbacks, but we each have that ability to say, I choose how I react to a situation. And, and, and I have so many amazing stories in the book about that. Um, I think setting the tone for how you interact with people. So for example, um, how many times have you been involved in a situation where, let's just pick one with customer service, right? So, so you call, you, 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 um, you need to change a flight. And I talk about a story in the book about this. You, you call customer service at, at United or wherever. And my story actually is about United. You want to um, change a flight. How often do you get on the phone and, and you're like, Hey Christian, how, how can I be helpful? You know, I need to change my flight from Dallas to, to Newark and so on and so forth. Could you change the tone to hello, Christian, how could I be helpful? Well, good morning, Scott. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. How can I be helpful? Well, look, I got to change a couple of flights. Um, I'm hoping you can be helpful to me. Uh, and they go on to have a discussion to understand who this person is, what they're about, what motivates them. How often do we go out of our way to get to know people? And I will tell you, the ability to live in the positive, to make the most of every day, get to know the gardener, get to know the customer service agent, get to know the sales rep, get to know the people around you. We're all humans. We all want to interact. Too often we treat people and situations as transactions. How can you help me? Here's how I can help you, as opposed to getting to know people. I will tell you that other attributes I learned is very little things make a big difference. You know, if you have a small quote that, that you have taped up to your computer or on your bulletin board, I have a poem that I look at all the time. Uh, what about that mug that says, be happy, smile, sounds goofy, but it's a reminder. It's a mental image. This is going to uh, change my day. I, I was at the gym not too long ago and I saw a woman there who didn't fit the profile of somebody that, that you might see in a gym. Um, and she's wearing a shirt. I forget exactly what it said, something about be grateful or something like that. And, and I went over to her and I actually like, I like your shirt. And she's like, yeah, it just reminds me. It's a, it's a mental trick to sort of be grateful, be happy. So because she put the shirt on, it made me smile. It made me interact and go back to her and have that conversation. Already, we're both having a better day. I think the ability to use humor. You know, I think there's a great Dr. Seuss quote uh, from here to there, from there to here. Funny things are everywhere. Absolutely love it. The ability to find humor everywhere. Again, I talk about another thing in the book. Um, uh, I hate to keep dwelling, but obviously it was a big moment in my life. And at my dad's funeral, I was actually standing over the coffin. It, it's open saying goodbye. And my cell phone rings. There are other people there. And I grab it. And I was like, you know what? No better time. I'm like, hey, dad, how can I be helpful? And people didn't know whether to, to laugh or cry or think I was truly insane, um, which is a little of all of that, by the way. But my only point is you could find humor everywhere, no matter where the situation is. It gives people that sort of mental ability to be like, you know what? This isn't that bad. Um, I think people learned or, or, or other aha moments were making the most of every minute. I talk about minutes matter. You know, when you're born, 
just using some quick math, you live to a plus or minus 80 years old, that's plus or minus 42 million minutes. Sounds like a lot. Most people listening to this right now are, are beyond that sort of halfway point, I'm guessing, in their, in their lives. So they're down to half those minutes. It's 21 million minutes. If you do some quick math and you say, well, you sleep about eight hours a day. I know not everyone does, but that's a third of those 21 minutes. Now you're down to 14 minutes for a 40-year-old. What are you doing with those 14 million minutes? They sound like a lot. They fly by. You know, I, I encourage people, and there were stories in the book about thinking about a barrel of minutes, like literally that mental image of, of whatever you want to picture them as coins, you want to picture them as baseball cards, whatever it is, you got a barrel and you can make the barrel as big as you want in your psyche. But either you allow those minutes to leak out and fall over the side as you run around, or you'll proactively choose to reach in and say, here's how I'm using my minutes today. And I want to make sure I'm using them wisely because again, you don't have that many. And I don't think enough people think about that. You know, another thing that, that, that I sort of learned and I heard stories about and I talk about in the book is learning something new constantly, right? We, we live in a world and a society where information is, is coming at us rapidly. How often do we proactively go out and say, you know, I'm going to watch a webinar. I'm going to read newspapers. How many people read newspapers on a regular basis? And I realize there are biases and so on and so forth. Uh, what about just reading books? I love to read. I read and, and listen to, to books and podcasts as much as possible. The ability to learn every day and get better helps you sort of evolve and get through those aha moments. What about taking chances? How often have you or your listeners are like, you know, I've always wanted to fill in the blank, start a new business, teach, uh, ask somebody out, uh, become someone's friend, uh, travel to, just fill in the blank because we all have those always wanted to. And then below those always wanted to, we all have the bullet points, but but I can't, I don't, I don't know how to, I'm not sure where to start. I'm afraid. Um, defining fear and risk and rethinking about those is why not? What is the actual risk? And, and we talk about it and your listeners may be listening to this and they're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But now I want to challenge you, Christian. I want to challenge all your listeners to say, you know what, that, that crazy guy, this life is too short guy. Like, you know, maybe he's got something there. Maybe that thought of starting a new business, leaving my job, whatever the situation is, maybe today's my day. Because remember, he said, I only have about 16 million minutes left. And if I spend more minutes doing what I don't want to do, take that chance, embrace it, find the opportunity, which gets to none of us can make it alone. You know, one of the things that I really learned through this and something that I'm a firm believer in is we need social networks. We're social animals, right? By definition, when you think about what happened during COVID, it was the greatest social experiment of, of our generation, of our time, where we all realized how much we craved other people, introverts, extroverts, regardless of who you are, we needed other people. So now that's almost in the rearview mirror. I say almost because we're not entirely behind it. Have you or have others changed their behaviors to say, you know what? I want to reach out to a friend I haven't talked to in years. I want to re-engage with a family member that, that maybe I how to falling out, whatever the case may be. I want to get involved in more organizations and more things that I care about, which gets to the, to the next point is passion. What are you passionate about? You know, I, I challenge people. And again, getting back to your question about stories you heard, lessons you learned, you know, people in aha moments became passionate about things. And I think about uh, a gentleman by the name of Kevin who lost his first wife, um, had some marital issues with his second wife and while he was going through that, which by the way, he, he is still with his second wife and living happily ever after at the moment. But while he was going through that marital issues, uh, a friend of his sort of called him out and, and realized he was an alcoholic. 
and went through the EA program. And for him, he found passion, religion, and God. And I'm not going to make any judgments about where you should find passion, but I think passion is a powerful word. It's not a, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? Those are soft words. Those are, are you know, my, my interests, my hobbies. What are you passionate about? What do you engage in that, that helps define you? That, you know, I like to say to people, if you haven't made your mark or impact on an organization, on a social group, on something you've passed through, you've probably wasted minutes. You know, we don't need more observers. We need people that are going to have passion and have an impact. And then finally, live for today. You know, all this stuff that I just went through, the litany of do this, do that, do this, do that, do it today. Don't sort of hop off this podcast and be like, yeah, that, that was kind of cool. Like, whatever, move on. Take away one thing, whatever it is. Like, get involved, be passionate, reach out to someone socially, have a positive attitude, think about Minutes Matter and change your life and your perspective today. I love it, man. I love it, man. It's just massive, massive value. And one of the things I always found very interesting and what you were talking about and so many different things, but specifically regarding like the time and, and being passionate about it. It's like once you've acquired skills that you know that you can accomplish anything, now it's a matter of, okay, what do you want to spend majority of your time and energy toward that will actually produce that result? So it's not like, hey, I want to, I want to go and get a job and make a lot of money because guess what? It may be, hey, I just want to do podcasts. Like that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing with podcasts and networking and so forth. But some people want to just spend more time in maybe missions or, you know, engaging or just whatever it may be, but finding that. Uh, and I think that's so, so valuable. Uh, Scott, now let me ask you this because you're, you're bringing us a really good insight, but I, I could just hear a lot of people say, well, I'm too busy, right? I'm too busy, 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 busy. So it's more of about intentionality, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. You know, obviously implementing some of these things in them now that we know, okay, these are the pivot points. This is what was the characteristics that these individuals had that really helped them scale to the next level. How are, are they able to become intentional with implementing each one of these in their own life so that they, it becomes a habit and it becomes a, a paradigm shift? So one of the things I talk about in the book is a, um, a hospice nurse. I believe she was in Australia. I can't remember. It was either Australia doesn't matter. Um, and she, she has interviewed and wrote her own book about what are the five regrets people have when they're dying. So here she is with people in their final days, hours, weeks, whatever the case may be. What are, what are their, their five regrets? I'm not going to go through all five of them because I don't think it's relevant, but to answer your question specifically, the two that are most poignant that jumped out at me is one, not being myself, not living the life that I wanted, but living the life that others wanted. And two, the regret of not doing something. Very few people had regrets of, I did this and, and I regret it. I regret that I did this job. I regret that I married this person. I regret that I, whatever the case may be, that's not what it is. The regrets people have when they're dying. And, and you know, I would challenge you and others and your, your listeners as they sort of close their eyes right now and, and just think about what is it? Here I am in my final hours. And, and I encourage people to really think about that because I think that's a powerful tool. One of the things I encourage people to do in the book, and, and I've done some workshops with people too, is, is literally draw a tombstone and write on it. What is the epithet? How do you want to be remembered? What, what is that sort of eternal, you only get a few words, by the way, so you're going to have to be very cautious in which words you use. Now take a step back from that and write. And I challenge your listeners to do this right now because I think it's a great exercise, something you can do tonight or, or over this weekend write your own eulogy. How do you want to be remembered in that room with people that loved you, that took the time to show up? Now take one more step back and write your obituary because here are people that are reading it in the paper or online that have never met you. And how do you want to be remembered? 
And if you think about that sort of exercise of your tombstone, then your eulogy, then your obituary, then I challenge you. And, and maybe you don't write the whole thing. Maybe you just want to write key themes. Are you living that life of key themes today? If not, why not? So again, your word, and I think it's a great word, is attentionality. You need to make the choice that I want to live this life. And again, people are going to say, I, I'm working two jobs. I'm trying to put food on the table. I have kids. I have a sick parent. I you keep making up the excuses. I'm telling you right now, there's so many minutes in the day and you choose how you use them. One of the things that you could do is leave this podcast and say, listening to this, this life is too short guy, I only have so many minutes left. So, so what am I doing with those minutes? And how could I use them smarter and better? How can I live an intentional life so that when I get to the end, those five sort of regrets, again, one of them is, is the things I didn't do. And I think that's just so powerful. What didn't I do? And that's what people care about. And I didn't live a life true to myself. I lived a life that others wanted. That's horrible. I mean, truly horrible. Think about that. If you're on your deathbed and you're like, you know, I really wanted to A, B, C, D, and I never got to it. And I kind of portrayed and lived the life of X, Y, Z, because that's what others expected to me. Wow. What a wasted life. What a wasted life. Yeah, it's interesting because you're, you're, you're mentioning something I think we all are guilty of. And, and I know I am even when I'm, you know, as you're talking, it's like, yeah, I can go and do things. I can travel. But why don't I? Right. That's one of my bucket lists. And it's like it's always like, hey, once I get here, then I will travel. Right. And that's how sometimes I, I always like to catch myself. It's like once you start thinking that way, that equation, then you know that there's something messed up and you just need to take action and just go and, and do whatever that is, acquiring that skill, you know, making that partnership pick up that phone, whatever it may be, and build those relationships. Um, it really, I love that approach and, and that way to think about it. Um, now, let me ask you this, because you did say something uh, earlier on, and I want to kind of roll back around. You know, when we're in a situation where psychologically we have all these anxieties in our life and we all of our focus is just right there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about psychological as well, like the human nature, right? I understand the prefrontal and the amygdala and how, hey, when you're thinking about all these negative things, you start thinking in the amygdala and you're not really actually thinking about like you know, executive functioning and logical base. And I love to kind of talk a little bit about that, Scott, and what you're seeing in the industry because or in, in the world with with, you know, anxiety, uh, medications, all this stuff. Right. It's 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 just it's very convoluted. and It's a, it's a big epidemic right now. Uh, so I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about that, and what you're seeing. Yeah. So I want to be careful because um, I. I my work, my beliefs are not uh, from a medical perspective. I'm not trained as a physician or as a psychologist. And um, I'm trying to avoid uh, proactively making this an academic piece. I think there's a lot of academic work out there. Uh, but my own belief, and, and I'd almost say fear, is that that turns so many people off. You know, the, the, there is a finite universe of people in the world, and they're very smart and, and uh, all the power to them, that, that focus on the, the academic, the studies, the medicine. And that's so important, by the way. I'm a big believer that, that we need that in society, that mental health is, has become such a prolific and important topic that we need to talk about. I want to approach it, so I'm going to avoid your question, just so I'm very blunt instead of trying to dance around it. I want to approach it from a much more practical level. The things I talk about are things that your listeners can do today, as opposed to thinking about the prefrontal cortex and how that's tied to the amygdala and what sort of uh, um, uh, what's going on in their brain. And, and look, I've done a lot of, of reading and research on that. And, and 
I could probably have a coherent, intelligent conversation, but I think it steers the book and it steers the audience in the wrong direction. Because I know there's a certain universe, and, and by the way, that universe, I think, is 95% of Americans that, that don't really care about that, that don't want to understand it. They want to understand, how can I be happier today? How can I live my best life? You know, you brought up something that, that was really interesting I want to circle back on in terms of, you know, I'm always sort of, I want to work hard and, and then I'll travel or I want to do this and then I'll travel. Uh, Sean Acor wrote The Happiness Advantage, and I highly recommend it to, to your uh, listeners to the extent they haven't um, uh, read it. It's, it's a great, more academic piece. He is more of an academic, but he wants to flip the formula, and I think it's really powerful. The, the traditional formula we all have is work hard, find success, be happy. Work hard, find success, be happy. The problem with this is exactly what you just said is that that be happy, we always push out. Work hard, find success, get promoted. I wanna get promoted again. Work hard, find success, get promoted again. I wanna go to a new company. Work hard, find success. I went to a new company and I don't like it as much. We have to stop with that. What we have to do is spin the the, uh, formula, and I think this is really important, to being happy today. So be happy today, work hard, find success. He has demonstrated empirically, and, and some of this is in the book, by the way, that, that so much of success professionally, and I know a number of your listeners are looking for professional tips, is predicated on the mind and happiness. And, and the ability to be positive leads to success as opposed to success leading to happiness. And I think that's really important. I love it. I love it. And I know you you mentioned you, you got to find that passion at that last, that last pillar. Um, Scott, if you could just share, like, what, what is, what drives you? What is your passion? Because uh, you've been able to accomplish many, many things. Uh, but what is the thing that's driving you now uh, regarding this book and, and just, you know, uh, emphasizing this and sharing this out with, with such a uh, massive audience? So like passions evolve over time. You know, I think people's interests evolve and what really motivates them, drives them, excites them. Right now, this book is a big passion of mine. This is a, a project I truly, you know, when we talk about all the, the depression in the world and we talk about all the unhappiness and the negativity, it drives me nuts. It actually drives me nuts. And I want to impact that. I want to have, so I could have, you know, maybe become a psychiatrist or a psychologist and and done some of the things you talked about with prescribing medication and, and therapy and so on and so forth. And again, I think all that's important. I've chosen that I think the best contribution I can make to the world is doing things like this. If I can, if, if one of your listeners, I know you have a massive audience, one of your listeners uh, finishes listening to this podcast, says, you know what, I'm going to change my life. I, I am going to, small steps, by the way, I don't expect someone to listen and all of a sudden they're a whole new person tomorrow. That's not reality. But if they smiled one extra time today, if they thought in a positive way one extra time, if somebody approached them with negativity and they're like, you know what, it's really not that bad. If they decide they're going to take a chance, small, big, whatever, then I've had a positive impact. So for me right now, this is a passion project to make the world happier one smile at a time to get out and tell this story, finish the book. The book will be published hopefully in January. That's the plan. Launching a website next month. Uh, I'm doing more of these podcasts. I'm going to start hosting my own podcast. I think over the summer. I want to get out and start doing uh, lectures. I want to. I want to spread this gospel. I have a workshop that I've done with a couple of companies where we work through, uh, you know, with teams a happiness handbook. So you have something practical to take away and say, here's exactly my my roadmap, my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm really passionate about it, and I, I am absolutely convinced I can make the world a better place, which would make me immensely happy. 
That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. I can feel it literally the synergy and the energy coming from you, man. And this is awesome. Uh, Scott, how can I, how can our audience reach out to you, be part of your community, be part of what you've got going on? And, and of course, uh, you know, invest in that book. So we're all relatively new. The easiest way uh, is via email. So I can be reached at scott at scottewhite.com. It's pretty easy to, to remember, scott at scottewhite.com. Um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I will be launching a website called lifeistoshortguy.com in June. So it's it's in its final stages. I've been spending more time writing than building the website, but lifeistoshortguy.com will come in June. The email again, scott at scottywhite.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and look, I'm, I'm really looking to meet people, to have a positive impact, to hear stories. If people are looking uh, to get on the list to hear about the book launch, please email me. Um, if people are looking for podcast guests, if you're looking for speakers, looking for somebody to do workshops, these are all things that, again, I'm going to make the world happier one smile at a time. And this is how I do it. And I appreciate being a guest on, on your, uh, your esteemed podcast, Christian. Awesome, man. And I really appreciate uh, you sharing that, guys. Those links will be in the description below as well. Uh, and we'll make sure we'll go ahead and update the uh, that website as well uh, once that goes live. So very excited for that. Make sure you consume his content. Make sure you reach out to him and, and be part of his community, what he's got going on. And Scott, again, I just appreciate the immense value that you brought. Uh, just being able to do all that work, interviewing these individuals and bringing that immense value and sharing that with us and understanding, like you said, it is an internal decision and how we can, of course, pivot during, during tough times and be very intentional with our life uh, at a very detailed um uh, detailed level and so my question to you is before we let you go is there any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience take this as a real challenge so i challenge you i, I love to be challenged by the way um so I'm, I'm turning this around as a challenge because i find too often people will listen to a podcast read a book watch something and then you know they go home back to their normal life so they're back at the slog going through life's motions this matters. You have the ability to control your own destiny. You have the ability to have a positive lens, to be grateful, to make the most of every minute and to live a more fulfilled life. And that's going to make the world a better place. Don't think about this as just sort of jargon. I've been very deliberate. And in fact, I, I even avoided your question. I did a little bob and weave to stay away from jargon, to stay away from the academics to stay away from the intellectual elite. I mean, I love the intellectual elite. That's what makes the moves the world forward. Everybody listening to this, all of us, just us common folks, we can make a difference in our own lives and the world around us. And I challenge every one of you to do it right now, today. Awesome, guys. That is Scott White. Until next time, that is Journey with Christian Evans podcast. And remember, be uncommon if you can. Thank you, Scott. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling 
positively in your business and your life, and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast, and until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.